Welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast, where faith and sports collide. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This is episode number 31 of the Sports Spectrum Podcast. My name is Jason Romano. Welcome to the show. Subscribe, download, and listen to these podcasts on iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher. And we are just grateful to be hanging out with you here today. As always, all of our content is available at sportsspectrum.com, including our daily devotionals Monday through Friday, every single morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, a devotional is posted to sportsspectrum.com to help you get your day started right. And it has a great mix of sports and that faith aspect of, uh, of what Jesus Christ is about and biblical scriptures and stories. It's just really cool. Those, those daily devotionals have really helped me every single morning when I just spend two or three minutes kind of getting into the word and kind of getting some inspiration going. And also, we want you to partner with us. We, we want you to become part of what we're doing here and become a member of Sports Spectrum. You know, we're, we're, we're dreaming here, and we got some pretty great great ideas of, of where this thing is going to go. We believe God has, has ordained this to be something pretty great, and uh, we're excited, and we want you to be a part of it with us. So quite simply, you can go to sportspectrum.com and click the subscribe button, and that makes you a member. That helps you become a member of the Sports Spectrum community. It's just $36 for one year. That gets you in as a member. And it also, it gets you four magazines, the quarterly magazine. And we do have a a new issue coming out pretty soon, a football preview issue in early September that we're working on right now, as well as all of the archival content that's available at sportspectrum.com. 30 years of articles, 30 years of stories all live there. And uh, when you become a member, you get access to all of that Every small, every 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 magazine that Sports Spectrum has ever put out is archived at SportsSpectrum.com for just thirty six dollars a year. You get access to all of that. Today's guest, another fantastic one. Here he is. This is Lance Berkman. He is a former Major League Baseball player, fifteen years in the big leagues. He's a six time All Star. He played in two World Series, including winning one in two thousand eleven, where he hit four twenty three in helping the St. Louis Cardinals win one of the most amazing World Series you will ever watch. That 2011 World Series, especially Game 6, was the craziest, maybe the craziest baseball game I've ever seen. So we're going to talk to Lance about that game, about that season, that special season with the St. Louis Cardinals in 2011. But Lance was more than that. 15 years as a Major League Baseball player. He's probably best known as being a part of the Houston Astros from 1999 to 2010, and and early on in his career, part of the Killer Bees with Biggio and Bagwell and Berkman, and just some really exciting baseball being played in Houston. It was fun to watch. He retired in 2013, and he's now a high school baseball coach at Second Baptist School in Houston, and he's coaching with his former teammate, Andy Pettit, the left-handed pitcher, the, the former Houston Astro and former New York Yankees pitcher. So, Lance Berkman's got a lot thing, a lot of things going on, and it's exciting to have him here. I can't wait for him to tell his story of faith and how he came to, to know Jesus in his life. So let's get right to it. Without further ado, here he is, five-time Major League Baseball All-Star, Lance Berkman. Lance, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's great to talk to you, and there's I have like... 20 questions here prepared. There's so much research I did in, in so many different areas that I want to talk about with you. Um, so we'll just start. Let's let's start with what you're doing now. A high school baseball coach at Second Baptist School in Houston. 
doing it with former teammate Andy Pettit, the former Yankee and Astros uh, pitcher. What has that experience been like for you coaching high schoolers? Oh, it's been it's been fun. I mean, it's uh, coaching is, is is certainly different from playing. I always people ask me sometimes, you know, what's what's the main difference? And I always say that when you're playing, you're responsible for one person, and that's you. And you have to make sure you're ready to go and and um, ready to do your job when the game starts. And when you coach, now you're responsible for like 25 guys. So it's uh, it's certainly different uh, from that perspective. But I've I've really enjoyed it, and and one of the most enjoyable aspects of it is getting to work with my close friend Andy, and uh, just the fun that uh, that we've had over the last several years with these kids, and and trying to teach them the game of baseball, and really more importantly, using baseball as a vehicle to speak into their lives. So that's been uh, very satisfying for me, and and a great experience. How did it come about for you? How the how the the partnership with Andy and just becoming a coach come together? Well, uh, the, the school approached me about it a couple of years ago. My, my kids all go to school here, and, and so they thought it might be a good fit, and they had a, a longtime coach that was looking to transition out. And uh, so they, they approached me about it, and I said, well, let me, let me be the assistant coach for one year and see how I like that. And, and so that's what I did. And then and I went back to school and got my degree, and um, after that they – asked me if I would be willing to take on the position full time. And so I thought it would be a great opportunity for me to be involved at the school where my girls are going. And, um, you know, the first person I contacted after getting the job was was Andy. And he actually had a son that was uh, going to school here. And so it was just a good fit all the way around for both of us to to jump in and uh, and coach the team. And so it's um, that's it's kind of how it came about. And it's not something that you know, when I retired from playing, I didn't immediately go, oh, high school baseball, that's what I want to do. But <laughs> the Lord uh, definitely has opened that opportunity, and it's been a real blessing. What's been the biggest challenge? You, you mentioned earlier being responsible for 24 versus being responsible for one as a player. But what's been the biggest challenge for you now as a coach that maybe you didn't quite understand or experience as a player now that, you know, when in your career? What's that big, What's the biggest challenge? I think it's just you know there's there's a couple but one is just the administration there's a lot more that that goes into this this position in particular that you certainly never had to think about when you were playing and everything from scheduling to ordering uniforms to you know making sure you have umpires at the games to providing the the baseballs and the equipment so there's a there's a lot that goes into that side of things and then as far as the on the field stuff you know whenever you for a guy like me I played outfield and first base and you certainly are become an expert at at those two positions when you play them as long as, as I was able to play but there's so much more to the game uh, as an example you know like on a bunt coverage I, as a first baseman I knew what I was supposed to do but I wasn't worried about what the middle infielders were doing they, they did what they were supposed to do but as a coach you have to know uh, exactly where everyone's supposed to be and you have to become somewhat of an expert on each position which uh, it takes a little bit to, even though you you know it, I mean, you instinctively know it, but being able to communicate it and um, in a way that, 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 that an 18 year old or a, a 16 to 18 year old can understand uh, that that's certainly a challenge as well. And, and so uh, I think the other thing that is challenging for me is that we, the culture today is, is certainly different than the one that I 
was uh, brought up in, and, and I think there are some cultural changes and challenges that you have to be aware of that, uh, that you know, kids now don't have to deal with that we never did. Things like social media, you know, and the responsibility that comes with that. So there's a whole lot of things that uh, you have to be aware of as a, as a head coach, and uh, it's been a, a great learning experience for me over the last two years. We're talking to Lance Berkman here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. And Lance, obviously, this is a faith in sports podcast. So we're going to talk a lot of baseball, but we're going to talk a lot of Jesus as well. So let's start here with Jesus and, and go to that moment for you when you made him Lord of your life. Take us back to that moment. Uh, well, uh, it's kind of a long story, and it, and it, and it has uh, several aspects to it. But the first thing is I, I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home. My parents are both believers, and uh, you know we were at church every time the doors opened. We were very committed to um, you know to our faith as a family. Uh, and and kids that grow up in that sort of environment, I think what they find is as they move out of their parents' home and out onto their own they come to a, a moment where they have to accept faith there. They have to, they have to internalize their faith and, and, and make it their own and, and not something that's cultural, not something that they, uh, it's not their parents' faith, but, it, but it becomes theirs. And so for me, you know, that journey, I was baptized when I was 11 and I really feel like I made a, a profession of faith at that time. So when people say, well, when, when, when were you saved? I always say, well, I, you know, of course I've, I believe it was at, at, at 11, and I think that, uh, you know, obviously we're all still going through the, the sanctification process uh, at this point, but I think that's where it started for me um, when I realized the weight of my sin, the burden of of uh, being born in, into that condition and, and, and knowing that I needed Jesus to, uh, to bridge that gap to restore my relationship with, with God, and so... Uh, but growing into that faith was a process that lasted from there until I got to college. And, um, as often happens, whenever you get into that environment, you know, you start kind of drifting away from how you were brought up. And, um, at that point, baseball was basically, you know, God in my life and, and my performance in baseball was the overriding concern. And, uh, the, the things that come with being a baseball player, you know, the language and the lifestyle, uh, you can get caught up in that. And I certainly did as I moved out of my parents' home. And then I had a, a teammate my sophomore year. He, he was a freshman. He's a year behind me in school. They came in that I really had a uh, an instant friendship with. We, we had a lot in common and we enjoyed spending time together and doing a lot of the same things. And I started to look at his life and what he stood for, the way he lived, and the consistency that that he was living uh, in, and uh, of course he was professing a believer, a follower of Christ, and and we all knew that about him. And so I just started looking at his life compared to mine. And of course, if at that time somebody had come into a room and said, you know, are you a follower of Jesus? I would have said absolutely. Yet my life did not reflect that, and his did. So. Um, I don't know if you want to call it a rededication or, mm. but, uh, you know, a, a, a time in my life when I really feel like my faith became firmly my own. It was long about my sophomore, junior year in, in college. And I didn't have a, 
a Damascus road experience like Paul, where there was a blinding flash of light. And, you know, I can't point to the specific hour and day that some people can, it was more of a gradual process, but, uh, I certainly felt the, the hand of God on my heart and, you know, through the use of several of my close friends and, and, um, and a girl that ended up becoming my wife, um, to God, you really use those people in my life to bring him, bring me back to himself and, and just gain a deeper understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Hmm. And, and, and your career is obviously taking off as well. In 1997, you're named the National College Player of the Year in Rice University. So not only spiritually, but you're seeing some productivity, some major productivity happening in college as well. And then the 97 MLB amateur draft comes and you don't wait long. You're selected in the first round, 16th overall by the Astros. 175 miles, I did my my math there, I might be a little wrong, Lance, but 175 miles away from where you played your high school ball, and you're literally in the backyard of where you played college at Rice when you go to Houston. What comes to mind when you think back to that day, that time, and and just kind of starting your career and becoming a pro? Well, it's funny, we, you know, back then there were, didn't, the, the Major League Draft still doesn't get a ton of coverage, but it, what it gets now is, is vastly more than it got back then. And, you know, back, back then the internet was still relatively new, wasn't nearly as, as widely used as it is and, you know, still dial up modems and whatnot. And um, so the way that it, it worked was you just gave, you know, people knew where they could get a hold of you and you just sat by the phone and waited when the draft started for somebody to call you for a team to call you. And, and I, we had, we had been to Omaha. That was a, a great experience where uh, we got a chance to play up there in the college world series. And we had been uh, eliminated from the college world series. And I was sitting in a hotel room with my mom and dad, with um, one of my roommates, who's the guy that, that really was in, instrumental in, in demonstrating uh, what it, what it truly means to, to live out the Christian life. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, who uh, was his sister and who became my wife, the four, the I guess that's the five of us were sitting around in in the hotel room in Omaha, Nebraska, when the draft started, and the team had gone back to Houston, and I didn't want to be flying while the draft was going on because I knew that I had a good chance to be drafted. So I got permission to stay behind uh, that day, and. I, actually, the first person that called me was my uncle who worked on computers at the time that was cutting edge. And he had, he had been following the draft on the Internet. And uh, he called and said, hey, uh, just want to know how you feel about staying at home to play ball. And I said, well, hmm. what do you mean? And he said, we well, just got drafted by the, the Astros in the first round. And I said, wow. And uh, my first thought was, oh, great. You know, they have Jeff Bagwell at first base and he's not going anywhere. So. There, you know, I'm going to have to learn a new position or else I'll never make it to the major leagues. And uh, pretty shortly thereafter, the Astros called and told me that, that they had taken me with the first pick and, you know, congratulations and all that. So it was just a it was a special day and it was great to have my mom and dad there and my future wife there and, you know, my best friend there to share the moment with. That's so awesome. And I, I just love kind of the beginnings of players' careers because it's so different. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, you don't know that you might play 15 years. You're just in that moment, just enjoying it. And then uh, I want to talk about your time in the minors a little bit and playing a couple of years. I, I read that you had stops in Kissimmee and in Florida and Jackson, Tennessee, and then New Orleans, and then you get promoted to the big leagues. But just what was minor league baseball like for you during – those couple years that you were in the minors and just trying to figure out not only life, but figure out how to be a pro. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a big adjustment. I, the biggest adjustment that, that guys have to make coming out of college or high school is just the everyday nature of professional baseball. I mean, you've got to be ready to play every single day, and you have to learn how to discipline your mind to be able to concentrate, to be able to, you know, have your best effort on a daily basis. You know, in college you're playing uh, a midweek game and then three, you know, weekend series, and there's no uh, there's no need for much internal motivation. You've got a pretty good atmosphere at most college places you know, most college parks and you realize that, I mean, these, you don't play but 60 games a year. So you realize, man, every game's important. And so there's a lot of external factors that help get you ready to play and you're not having to do it every day. And then you go to the minor leagues and there's two people in the stands and you're not really playing for anything. And, <laughs> you know, the, it's hot and, and, and there, so there's gotta be a transition there where you're, you know, you're finding a lot of your motivation in, um, you know, from inside yourself, you don't have the external factors that help you. So that's a that's a learning curve for sure. Um, and you're out trying to just figure out, man, you know, there's there's so much uncertainty. You mentioned it earlier. You don't know what's going to happen. And, and a lot of the you, you feel like a lot of the future depends on the judgment of other people. It's all out of your hands to a certain extent. And yeah. uh, you kind of learn how to live live in that uncertainty and, and work hard towards a goal that you don't know if you're ever going to have the opportunity to realize. So I think there's some great life lessons that, that are learned through minor league baseball. And, and uh, it's certainly not the glamour, um, you know, the glamour that you see on television where you turn on ESPN and guys are hitting homers in the big leagues and everything looks great. And what they don't see is you know, the 20 hour bus rides and, and grinding it out in the minor leagues and staying in two star hotels and, you know, with two other guys. It just, it's, I mean, there's, there's a lot to it that, uh, that's not glamorous and that you kind of have to fight through, but it's part of the process. And it's a, it's a great experience for, for a young man, um, you know, trying to realize a goal. And then you mentioned that goal, you mentioned it getting to the big leagues and then July 16th, 1999 comes and you make your major league debut against Detroit. What do you remember about that day? Well, I remember that I had gone from new Orleans to, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, because they were, were putting together, that was the first year that the Olympics were going to allow professional players to play, uh, before, you know, the, the, the American team had, had fielded just, you know, college players. And I tried out for that Olympic team, uh, in 96 and was cut. Uh, and so the next, the next Olympics were going to be, you know, 2000 and, and that was going to be in Australia. And so they, as a, um, qualifier they we had to play in a tournament in 1999 to qualify for the olympics in 2000 and so they were getting some good young professional players from around and i was selected to to, to play on that team so we were all going to meet up in phoenix arizona to practice before we had to go i think to canada to play in the qualifying tournament and so i mean we had just landed uh, my wife and i flew out there we had just landed in phoenix and it's you know you turn your cell phone off when you, you know, when you get on a plane, and as soon as I turned it on, when we landed in Phoenix, I had a message from Jerry Hunsicker, who was the general manager of the Astros. And he said, call me back as soon as you get to Phoenix. You know, we've had an injury and you're coming to the big leagues. And man, it, you talk about just a, a an adre immediate adrenaline rush. And then there was logistics of getting back on a plane and we had to spend the night in, in Phoenix and so the next morning I was going to be on a plane back to Houston and I didn't, I don't, I don't think I slept at all that night <laughs> and, you know, landed in Houston, went straight to the Astrodome and, uh, it's very, it's overwhelming. It's a very unsettling feeling. There's so many emotions that, 
that uh, go through your mind when you're looking at that for the first time and you're like, man, this is my chance. And it's at this, at one point, you know, it's, it's, same, it's a realization of a dream, but then you realize how fleeting that is and how much you would like to stay in the big leagues. It's one thing to get there. It's another thing to stay. And you feel like you want to impress people and show them that you can be a contributor to the team. And that makes the failure um, that much uh, worse is that, you know, you feel like you're letting down, the you know it's like the, the stakes are really high and you can feel that uh, tremendously as you're walking in there and and trying to get comfortable with the stadiums and with the you know heck you you know I'm walking in there as a 23 year old and there there are guys on the team that are 40 and mm. it's just a it's a, a very unsettling experience at the same time exhilarating and and exciting. Well, there's established veterans there too. You mentioned 40 year olds, but. You mentioned Jeff Bagwell earlier and Craig Biggio, and you got guys that are legit, you know, stud players, stars on this team. And you come in, and you're just trying to sort of make your mark and fit in. So, what was the biggest adjustment when you when you arrive in Houston to trying to fit in as a major league baseball player? Well, you just you know you don't want to do anything that rocks the boat. Um, and there's all kind of unwritten rules. Baseball is famous for its unwritten rules and. Uh, a lot of times as a young player, you don't really know where the boundaries are. And so you you find that out pretty quick. You know, the veteran guys let you know what's what's good and what's not good. And and so I was fortunate to be to come up with a team that had a lot of veteran players that were what I would consider true professionals that uh, that it's one thing to be in the major leagues. It's another to be a, a real pro and. You know, guys like Bagwell and Biggio and Moises Alou and Bill Spires and Tim Bogar and, mm. you know, a lot of the guys, Brad Osmus, that I was able to play with early in my career, they they knew what it meant to really be professional. And so just from watching those guys, I learned a lot about, you know, how to, how to be a pro ball player. And uh, I'll be forever grateful for them for, you know, kind of passing those baseball traditions down to me and, um, so it was it was a big help to have at one point, you know, at the same time, it makes you really nervous because you're like, my goodness, you know, I'll let these guys down. Right. But it's also a great benefit to to have guys that are um, doing things the right way on the field where you can watch them and, and uh, you know, learn from them. So by 2001, Lance, you know, you're a legit starter on the team. You're you're part of this killer bees that were born with Biggio Bagwell and Berkman and even Bell at some point. And in 2001, you win 93 games. By 2004, you win 92. You lose a heartbreaker, seven games to St. Louis in the NLCS. In 2005, you reach the World Series. Just trying to set the scope of the success that you're having here really quickly with the Astros. Describe what it was like to be a member of that team, to be a member of the Houston Astros during those years where you're having so much success. Well, I've already mentioned some of the guys we had, and to me that's what stands out is just the tremendous clubhouse um, as far as the quality of the guys and the, we just had a lot of fun playing ball together and we had good teams. And so, um, when you're playing on successful winning teams at the major league level, uh, it, it makes your job that much easier. And on top of that, the fan support was phenomenal. And, uh, we had a real home field advantage at, at Minute Maid. Um, just, yeah, we didn't feel like we could lose there. And a big part of that was the fan support that we were getting at that time. So, the whole organization was kind of on a roll and you were swept up in it. And it was a fun time to be, to be a Houston Astro and, and some of the greatest baseball games I've ever participated in, uh, in my life were 
some of those matchups that we had with the Cardinals and um, both years that we, you know, in 04 and 05 when we made back-to-back uh, NLCS appearances and playoff appearances, we had to go on a crazy run in August and September to even make the playoffs as the wild card. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, both years we were able to do that. And that's, of course, exhilarating when you're playing those really meaningful games in September and then, you know, carrying that on into the playoffs. It's just, that's what, honestly, I mean, you know, that's what you play for. That's what being uh, a part of a professional organization should be about. It's about the pursuit of the championship. And, and when you're on the cusp of one, uh, it's, you know, it's at least for me, I mean, that's one of the highlights of my career. I want to mention a few numbers here, uh, just about the production that you were putting out there as a player in 01, you hit 55 doubles, which is an insane amount of doubles in a year, 34 homers, 126 RBI, you hit 334 in 02, you hit 42 homers, you're driving 128 RBI. 20, 2006, you hit 45 homers, driving 135 runs and hit 315. So there's a stretch there, Lance, where, where you're one of the most feared hitters in baseball. But I want to ask you sort of uh, on the side a little bit, when you're in the midst of a stretch like that in your prime, do you ever struggle or did you ever struggle with just identity? You mentioned how you came to faith in Christ. But when you have so much success on the field, I wonder for you if you ever struggle with that where you know, sort of baseball became an idol. You mentioned when you were early, you were younger in age that baseball was your God. But I wonder if you're, when you're in the midst of this sort of all-star stretch of performance on the field, if there was ever a struggle in identity for you. I really, no, I mean, I can honestly say I, that the answer to that is, you know, I guess I, you know, it's just everybody, it's multifaceted. I mean, there's, I don't know that there is a clear cut answer, but if I had to give mm. you a yes or no, I would say, no, I didn't struggle because I feel like that, a big part of my rededication that I had in college was God really enabled me to have a more eternal perspective on the game of baseball. That was a big part of what happened at that time when I was at Rice where, you know, God really got a hold of me and and said, look, you know, there's, there's way more to life than than being a good baseball player. And so I kind of had learned that lesson, which was a real blessing going into my pro career. So when I started to have success um, number one, you know, even you quote those numbers, but I remember vividly, even in the middle of some of those really good seasons where you feel like, my goodness, I mean, I'm just up here trying to survive. You know, it, you never yeah. really feel like you're, you're on top of the game. Even those years when you're, when things are going well for you and, and you're playing well, um, there's always a sense of, uh, man, disasters right around the corner. You kind of play on that razor's edge. And so, you you know, you don't really appreciate or enjoy those good seasons quite as much as, as you probably should. But in terms of how I viewed, you know, my success at that time, uh, vis-a-vis, you know, my, my role in the world and, and my, my true identity, uh, I would say that, that I, I was able to maintain just, you know, through through the help of the Holy Spirit, not because I'm you know, a great guy or anything, but, but just God gave me favor in the area of being able to know that baseball isn't the end all be all. And I think one of the things that, you know, guys learn some the hard way, some, you know, kind of as a confirmation of what they already believe is that when you get to the end of something like that, or even like when you win the world series, it's great. And it's a wonderful accomplishment and the sense of fulfillment is tremendous, but, you know, you, you recognize the emptiness of those things also, like a hundred years from now, nobody's even going to know about this and who's mm-hmm. going to care. And, and you just, I think the, the stark reality of 
the brief time that we're here and, and the triviality of a lot of what we would consider to be major accomplishments, you know, the weight of that is is readily apparent and you feel that heavily in the wake of, of some of your greatest triumphs. So, you know, for me, even in those great seasons, when, when you post those numbers, you recognize, well, heck, the next season's three months away and you're going to have to do it all over again. And, and eventually, you know, those things, while they're nice to experience, they 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 just they pale in comparison to uh, the eternal impact that you can have on people. And you know when you're laying on your deathbed, you're not going to be thinking about how many runs you drove in in the big leagues. You're going to be thinking about your relationships and your you know the people that influenced you and that you were able to influence. So uh, you know I think God really has given me favor in that particular area of keeping a perspective on what's going on. Yeah, that's such a great outlook and perspective. Talking to Lance Berkman here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Now, Lance, our offices are based in Colorado. I was just there a few days ago, and we were perusing through some of the old Sports Spectrum magazines because we have new ownership now. PAO is now owning uh, Sports Spectrum. And in it, I find a May and June 2002 edition of Sports Spectrum with Lance Berkman, a very young Lance Berkman, right on the cover there in his Houston Astros uniform. And I was just reading through it. And one of the questions that was asked to you in the Q&A in the article was about some of the things you'd like to improve off the field in 02. And you mentioned, and I'm going to read this verbatim, it says, off the field, I'd like to get a disciple group a discipleship group going with some of the guys on the team. I think it would be good for us to get some of the believers together and have an accountability group. I'm just curious because that was in 2000, before the 2002 season when you were asked that question. Did that ever take place or, or something to that effect as you became became a sort of a veteran and been around the, the clubhouse? You talk about relationships and how important that was for an eternal impact did did, did th something like that ever surface and become sort of a regular thing for you as you went about your career absolutely we you know we were and, and i think i was very blessed to be <clears throat> to be on teams that had some like-minded guys and so i mean i pretty much every year that i can remember there may have been one or two exceptions but we would have a group of guys that would meet regularly on the road um and go through you know passages of scripture or, or a book of the bible or you know um some sort of curriculum that uh that we would do together and so that was a very um i think it i think it, it's 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 essential um if you're going to live a consistent christian life if you're going to try to maximize uh, the platform that that God has has blessed you with for the the glory of His kingdom, that's something that that is just that's almost a must. And so, uh, fortunately, I was on teams that had guys that thought the same way, and that we you know we valued that time that we had on the road. And so, uh, yeah, we had there were several uh, really good discussion groups or accountability groups or whatever you want to say um, that, that, I, that I was able to be a part of over the years. That's great. And we'll talk about one of those special teams, the 2011 Cardinals in a moment. But I want to ask you from the personal side of things, Lance, you're married to Kara. You have four daughters, four daughters, by the way, I have one daughter. I can't imagine four daughters, but I'm just curious for you how difficult it was as a professional baseball player, if it was difficult at all, but balancing the other side of being a husband and a dad during your career, what was the challenges there? Well, that's where having a great wife comes in handy. And mm -hmm. uh, I got, you know, I got the best. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I would say one of the best, but I think she's the best. Uh, but certainly one of the best wives that, that you could possibly have 
for being a professional athlete. I mean, she um, essentially, you know, was a single parent for a lot of the time when we're traveling and we're out and, and, and a lot of the time um, when you're, when you are home, you're emotionally distant because uh, baseball at the professional level requires a lot of emotional energy. So when you come home, you don't have a whole lot left in the tank to give your family. And she did a, such a great job of, of bridging that gap with the girls and, and, um, was, has, has always and continues to be supportive of me. And, um, you know, the, the Proverbs 31 woman that, you know, you hear that a lot, but truly I could go verse by verse on that deal and, and just say, Hey, that's my wife. I mean, that's what she does. She runs our house and she takes care of me. She takes care of the girls. And, um, so it's a great blessing. Never could have, you know, could have had the success on the field without her contributions off the field. So I give her a hundred percent of the credit for helping me balance the game and family and, you know, all of the, the things that come with being, um, being successful away from baseball and off the field. What about being a father? What does being a dad, uh, to four girls mean to you? Oh, it's a, it's a great privilege. I mean, they're, they're incredible. Like I, you know, people that have kids, know what I mean, but I, I just, I derive a tremendous amount of joy from watching my girls and from being a part of their lives and from being their dad. I mean, they're just, you know, their, their personalities are so different, so unique, um, but all enjoyable in their own way. And, um, you know, just delight in talking about them and, and the things that they're doing. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just fatherhood is, is something that, you know, it's a, it's an imperfect art, but, uh, it's, <laughs> True. it's a, it's a challenge that, that I enjoy. And especially now that I'm not playing and I have more time to be involved with what they're doing. Um, it's, you know, it's one of the great joys of my life. We're talking to Lance Berkman here on the sports spectrum podcast and back on the field, Lance, it's 2010 and you played your entire career in Houston with the Astros, obviously college as well, growing up in Texas. And then at 34 years old, you're traded to the New York Yankees. What was that like for you being traded, leaving the Astros after so many years and putting on another team's uniform? Take us back to that time. Well, it's a fish out of water experience for me. Um, I, going along and, you know, this is when I have an opportunity to share, this is something that sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll share with people, but I think it's a, learned a great fundamental lesson of life uh, through that period of time. And, you know, being a Texas guy and having been drafted by Houston and spending 12 years there and having success in Houston, in my mind, I was never going to leave Houston. I mean, that was, you know, that was all there was. I was going to play 20 years for the Astros and yeah. uh, retire fat and happy and that sort of thing. So, <laughs> right. um, but that year I had a knee problem in spring training and um, everybody thought the best thing to do is to have, have it arthroscopically cleaned out what we were hoping, but it didn't end up being that uh, a little bit more complicated than that and had some difficulty getting back from it. And I think partly because of that and partly uh, just because um, I had a bad year, you know, there was, there was a lot of um, grief about, uh, about my performance from myself and from, you know, probably put other people that were close to me through it too, but it uh, wasn't, wasn't a good year. And um of course, then the the Astros at that point were, were undergoing a transition away from the teams that we had had in in 
the early 2000s to middle 2000s. And then they, you know, they didn't re-sign a bunch of my friends and traded other ones away. And so I kind of felt like, man, you know, I'm the only guy left. And that, so they approached me about a trade and I had a no trade clause. And so I said, well, maybe a change of scenery would, you kind of get curious about well, what is it like, you know, playing other places. So yeah. got a chance to play for the Yankees, tremendous organization, the way they treat their players is second to none, first class all the way from, you know, the bat boys on up. I mean, it's just a classy place. Uh, but I did not enjoy um, being away from home. I mean, I think that was the biggest part of it. And, um, you know, it was the first time in my life that I had been a professional and playing for a team that wasn't right in my cozy backyard. So it was yeah. it was certainly uncomfortable in a lot of ways. And then when you, you know, when you go to a new team, with the Astros, I had built up a, 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 a large reserve of credibility, you know, through past performances and times that I'd come through in the clutch and that sort of thing. But when you go to a new team, you don't have any of that. And so you have to start from ground zero, reproving all of that. And so, honestly, I kind of felt like a rookie again, like I did my rookie year. And that's a, you know, part of that is just a bad feeling. And so there was a lot of soul searching that point, I think it was tough on, on Kara and the girls because it was such a, you know, it's a long way to go to come from Houston to New York and they're traveling back and forth and things aren't going the way I think they should. And so kind of a dark period really in my career. Um, and looking back on it now, though, uh, it was one of those things that where God was at work, even though we didn't or I didn't realize it at the time, I was just kind of trudging through what I would consider to be you know, kind of a miserable experience for me professionally. And, um, but, but if stopping and looking at it now, like I never would have had the opportunity to go to St. Louis if it wasn't for, um, being moved out of Houston and the knee injury was part of it and the trade was part of it. And it was just God working to make the circumstances line up so that I could get to a place where, um, I ended up having a great time and, 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 have tremendous feel tremendously blessed to have been a part of the Cardinals organization. And I don't believe that ever would have happened without some of the travails that I went through in 2010. Hmm. Well, you mentioned the Cardinals and in the off season leading into 2011, you signed with the Cardinals and it ends up being a dream season in a lot of ways. It's not your best season statistically for sure, but it was a really good season at 35 years old. You hit 331 homers. You almost drive in hundred RBI. You win a world series, your first world series, but even more, I've talked to a lot of players from that team, certainly at some of the conferences that you and I have been to together. And there's something bigger that was going on inside that clubhouse spiritually. So I just want to like sort of leave the floor open here and, and just have you tell us about 2011 and, and the St. Louis Cardinals, that team you were on and why it was so special. Well, I think um, the, the first thing is, you know, I felt right at home in St. Louis immediately. And, and, a, and a large part of that was because of the competition that we had had against those guys for all those years when I played in Houston. And there was a, a deep mutual respect between you know, the Astro organization and the Cardinal organization, and particularly the players that were participating in that in that rivalry. So uh, right out of the shoot, I felt great just coming in and knowing a lot of the guys from playing against them for so many years and, and just had great respect for uh, Tony LaRusa, the manager of the Cardinals. And he, he ended up being everything that – that I envisioned that he would be in terms of, you know, I mean, just a great manager, best I ever played for. So, um, you know, it was, it was immediately apparent to me that there was going to be a, a, a great year. And the, the biggest thing about that year is just the guys that we had on that team. I mean, it was from top to bottom, 
Um, I mean, you could honestly, like you could always tell people, like I could go on vacation with all 25 of those guys or 24 of those other guys and, and, and would feel great about it. I mean, that's kind of how, uh, the, how to best describe it. And even the guys that didn't necessarily, uh, see eye to eye with, uh, with me in terms of the, the spiritual component, they were, they were still good, good hearted, good human beings and fun to play with and fun to be around. But what made that team really special is the, you know, the Christians that we were, that we had, and we had a group of brothers on that team that was, uh, you know, they were just strong. I mean, and, and a lot of them, I mean, I think out of, you know, we'd have a chapel service and we'd have 20 guys show up out of the 25 man roster, wow. which is almost unheard of. Yeah. Uh, and we probably averaged 15 to 16 guys. So it was um, guys that were serious about their faith and, you know, were serious about being um, or using their platform that God had given them and were serious about reaching other guys in the clubhouse and being good examples and, you know, doing a good job of, of walking out our faith in the locker room. And I think that's what made that team so special. And I think the, uh, the adversity that we were able to overcome because, uh, believe it or not, I think on August 27th, and of course we could go back and confirm that, but it was late <laughs> in August, we were as many as 10 games out of the wild card. Uh, and at that point in the season, that's an almost insurmountable hurdle to overcome. But uh, we got it together. We started playing well. We had a great team. We just We just were uneven in our performance all year, but it all clicked for us and Fortunately, just in time, we made the playoffs on the last day of the season, and we had a great run through the through the playoffs and won the World Series. And uh, winning the World Series was gratifying, but winning the World Series with that group of guys was what made it so much so so special and something that I'll never forget. Well, you mentioned that World Series. Now, I want to talk about it's it may be one of the greatest World Series I've ever seen, but specifically Game Six might be the craziest, most memorable championship game I can. I can ever remember watching, uh, and I'm just curious. From I guess I'll put my fan hat on here and just ask you from from the from a player perspective what that was like because the Cardinals were twice. You, you mentioned being 11 games out in August just from the wild card, but in this game that was kind of a microcosm of your season. Your the Cardinals twice were down to their final strike and elimination, both in the ninth and tenth innings of this game. This is the World Series here. David Freeze in the ninth hits a two out, two strike, two run double, or I'm sorry, two run triple to drive you and Albert Pujols in to tie the game. And then you come up in the 10th again, down to your final strike, down a run, two outs, and you hit a clutch single to drive in Pujols. And then Freeze goes on and ends the game with a walk-off homer in the 11th. And people remember that. But I don't think a lot of people remember the fact that you were down to your final strike twice in that game. And basically, the, the Rangers were ready to walk away and say, we're the champs, we're the champs. And you win that game, you go on and win game seven, and you win the World Series like you mentioned. But there's so much about just that game six that I I can talk about with you. I want to know from a player perspective from you, what was it like playing in a game like that? What sticks out most to you when you remember back to that? Well, I think the overriding thing that people – don't realize about playoff baseball in general is it's not like it looks, it's not fun. Like it, it, <laughs> retrospectively yeah. it can be fun thinking about it, but when you're going through it, I mean the, the, the concentration that you have to, I mean, it's just a, it's an emotionally draining experience. It takes everything you have from a emotional, physical and mental standpoint to be able to go through the postseason. That's why like there's a, there is a serious, uh, hangover effect, if you will, the next season from teams that, that win the World Series. I mean, I think you you saw it this past year with the Cubs, mm -hmm. and you know, just 
when you when you invest so much of yourself into something like that, uh, at the end of it, you, you feel like you could sleep for two months. And so it's very draining and very emotional. And, and um, it's really just hard to describe uh, if you haven't experienced it. But the that particular game, I remember thinking, my goodness, I mean, what a circus early in the game. We had like there was a, we had a drop pop fly. We had a miscommunication in the outfield where a ball fell in that shouldn't have. They had a couple of silly errors that you would just really never see from a major league team. So the game was sloppy. Like the first part of that game, it was like, who can just give this thing away? And right. and, and you're almost like, really, this is as good as we can do. But uh, long about the sixth inning, it really tightened up, and then it became an amazing baseball game. And uh, a lot of people forget you know, there's so much about it that, that is not going to be remembered that, that if you played in the game, you'll remember things that are pivotal. Like Alan Craig hits a two-run homer because at one point we were down by three runs in that game. And okay. uh, we I think it was believe he hit it in the seventh inning. So when you're going into the seventh inning in the major leagues and you've got your, your three runs down, I mean, I, I don't know what the numbers are on that, but I would hazard a guess that it's overwhelmingly in favor of the team that's up by three runs. And so, you know, Alan hits a two-run homer, which at the time was like, oh, you know, that's a nice homer, but they still have the lead and they have a great closer, and so it's going to be hard to, to win this game. And then, you know, everybody seemed like made a contribution from John Jay and Daniel Descalso, who led off that uh, that inning when we were down by two runs, you know, the, the inning where I got my base hit. Both of those guys get hits to start the inning. Nobody will ever remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Terrio uh, drove in a run with just a – kind of a doinker ground ball, but a tough at bat against a good pitcher. Uh, Kyle Loesch put on a great bunt. I mean, so it was like one thing after another where guys had to execute in order to set the stage for David Freeze or for myself or whatever. Um, and I think when I remember that game, I just think about those things. Like, number one, how bad it started. But number two, how at the end of the game, so many guys had to come through. and It wasn't just one or two guys, and, and we did. And, and I think that really is a microcosm of our season in that um, we had guys that just were able to, you know, were able to get the job done when it mattered. And a cool, a cool story about that game, which I use sometimes when I talk, is uh, Jake Westbrook, who was the winning pitcher in that game, which most people don't remember. He came out of the bullpen and, and – uh, and was able to um, throw some effective innings for us and picked up the win. Um, he was left off the playoff roster initially because he was a starter, and you really only need you know three starters when you go into the playoffs, and he really didn't fit with, as far as a bullpen guy goes. Uh, but Jake's a great guy. He was left off the, the NLCS uh, roster, and he could have pouted and – you know, because here's a guy that heck he had been an all star a couple of times, I think, yep. and had been an ace pitcher for the Indians. And he was a guy that was traded for and had pitched well all year for us. And here he is off the roster. So he could have, you know, stamped his feet and kicked around. But no, he, you know, was a great team guy, cheered for us during the NLCS. Then he was put on the roster in the World Series. Didn't really get to pitch very much at all, but he was called on in a super important situation and he was ready to go. And he pitched great, and he got the win. So, I mean, it's a great example of the kind of mentality that, that the guys had on that team, very unselfish, very much uh, willing to do anything that it would take to, to win and to, to play for each other. So uh, that's what stands out about not only that game but, but that team. 
Well, and you had a good, pretty good World Series. You hit 423 and could have easily been the MVP. But when David Fries hits a walk-off homer in the 11th and hits the two-run triple, you understand why it might have gone to him. But I will ask you this. From a fan base perspective, now my dad, long-time St. Louis Cardinals fan. I mean, since like the Bob Gibson days of the 60s. Now, he loves the Cardinals and, and just, you know, lives and dies with them every night when he watches them. And... I just wanted to ask you sort of from a fan base perspective as a player, what makes the Cardinals fan base so special? I know certainly there's a special fan base in Houston and even that small time with the Yankees and everybody knows how that Yankee fan base is, is as loyal and as dedicated and as passionate as there is, but there's something special. Many, many people in sports and even just in my time at ESPN and talking to different people talk about that Cardinals fan base, that St. Louis Cardinals fan base being the best in baseball. What is it about them that makes it so special? Well, I think what there's there's several things, but but one is just the the ownership that the Cardinal fans feel in the organization. I mean, they really feel like that they own that team, and they and they do. I mean, it's their team. Uh, they're very possessive of it, and and one one of the advantages. I mean, it's been you know kind of the big deal sports wise in that town for forever, and so that notion gets passed down from father to son and from father to daughter and, and, and from mother to daughter. So they, the fans, there's a history there where the fans are really invested in the team. And that is true in a lot and in several places. I mean, when I, when I think about, okay, which, which organizations have a fan base that are, that are historically super invested. I think of the Boston Red Sox, I think of the New York Yankees and I think of the Chicago Cubs and I think of uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, really those four organizations um, are, are what come to my mind. And, uh, and maybe the Giants to a certain extent, although, you know, moving cities and all that's not, uh, not conducive to, to that real long, deep, rich history. But uh, what separates the Cardinals from those other three organizations to me, though, is the number one, the civility of the fans. Uh, number two, the um, the insistence on excellence because you have you know Cubs fans are civil for the most part and they're loyal but they were content being you know kind of the lovable losers forever that yeah. would never fly in in St Louis and you know you have passionately rabid fans in both New York and Boston but they're not as civil as the fans in in St Louis and they're you know the fans in New York and, and Boston are very much uh, pro their team and very much anti the other team. And I think what you get in St. Louis is while they are anti the other team, there is a civility that uh, enables them to recognize good baseball when they see it, whoever's playing it. And so, you know, they'll give the opposing team uh, an ovation if a guy makes a great play or uh, they just they're they're knowledgeable fans. But the, the, to me, the things that separate them from the other groups I mentioned are, are the civility and the, de- the demand of, of excellence in, in combination. We're talking to Lance Berkman here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. And Lance, your career comes to an end uh, on September 17th of 2013. That's actually when you play your last game as a professional. Uh, you moved from St. Louis to Texas for that one last season. I'm just from a from a perspective of just somebody who's watched your career for many years, what do you miss most about your time as a player now that you've been out of the game for four seasons? I always tell people the paycheck, but <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's honesty, right? <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think it, you know the the thing that stands out. I don't miss the game at all. Like I don't. There's nothing about the game where I'm you know wistful about man. Because it's just the game's so hard, you know. I think it's just so hard. It's such a challenge every night, and 
um, you know, be to play it at a, at a high level, it requires a ton. So I don't miss that at all. Mm. But um, I think just the, the relationships that you that you build. And fortunately, you know, some of my best friends to this day are guys that I played with in, in the major leagues. So um, I've been able to, to maintain uh, some of that camaraderie. But there's really nothing that replaces the, um, you know, the push for the common goal, so to speak, where you've got a group of guys that are with each other every day and we're, we're competing together and we're competing for something. You know, we have a, a common aim and uh, that the feeling of being a member of a team and, and pursuing something that's bigger than yourself is a great uh it's a it's a great narcotic, really. To, I mean, it's something that that you kind of get addicted to, uh, and you really get into it and get into the competition. And so, the, I think that's what. Uh, if I had to pick one thing that I miss about playing at the major league level, that's that. It's the it's sort of the band of brothers mentality where you know we're all in this thing together, and we're uh, we're going we're kind of doing life together, the ups and downs, and and uh, and it's something that's hard to replace. Couple more questions here with Lance Berkman. Now, Lance, you're on the board of directors for Sports Spectrum and and the ministry that's run by Sports Spectrum Pro Athletes Outreach. And the scripture that we all cling to in our ministry is John three thirty: He must increase, we must decrease. So, from your perspective, what does that increase in Christ mean to you? Well, I think it's you know, I think you can quote many passages of scripture. It's sort of a it's an overriding theme in, in, in the Bible, and that is that you know our lives only have meaning to the extent that we are that we're participating in what God is doing in the world. In other words, you know we we find our greatest meaning in bringing glory and honor to God, uh, and that that happens through our relationships and and through the, our example, uh, the way we are living our lives, the way we treat our wives, the way we raise our family, the way we talk, the way we spend our money. I mean, all of these things. Uh, should point to God and to his glory. And that's to me what what decreasing so that God can increase means. It's about losing yourself in the pursuit of building God's kingdom here on earth. It's one of my favorite verses. I'm curious for you if there is a life verse that you have, and maybe it is John 3.30, but if there's a kind of a verse that you and your family have adopted that you kind of uh, stand on and live by. Well, I don't, you know... As far as, you know, we, we've gone through that exercise with the family where, you know, we have kind of tried to, to build a family motto. Um, but in terms of like having a, a life first that, that we have picked out, um, it's not, not one that we've put on the wall. But one, one of my life first and the one that I've, you know, tried to teach my girls and that if somebody says, well, here, sign this ball and put a, a verse of scripture on there. Um, this is what I always write, and it's out of Psalm, Psalm one nineteen nine through eleven, um, and it and it basically says, you know, that um, you know how can we keep our way pure? The psalmist is asking a question, and he says, uh, you know, how can how can a young man or a young woman uh, keep his way pure? And then he answers his own question where he he says, you know, it's by hiding God's word in our heart. So. Mm. Um, and I think that's the key to, to life. You know, when, when, if your if your aim is to keep your way pure, uh, the, the key is by meditating and by knowing and by allowing God's word to enlighten your path. And so, um, quoting it directly is, you know, Psalm, Psalm 119, nine through 11 is how can he, how can young people keep their way pure by guarding it according to your word? 
With my whole heart I seek you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. I treasure your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. So um, as a coach, I try to encourage my players with this verse. As a dad, you know, I try to instill this in, in my daughters and, and the seriousness that, that we have to take our uh, relationship with the word of God, because ultimately, if we want to stay pure, if we want to uh, remain in relationship with God, you know, the key is by, you know, learning scripture, by memorizing scripture and by, um, you know, using it, not just knowing it, but by using it in practical ways in the way we live. During your career, Lance, you were certainly known as one of those guys that gave back, that was always about charity and being generous to others. So I want to talk a little bit about giving back and, and your involvement. There's so many different areas of involvement that you've been in your philanthropy. Here's a platform for you, a chance for you to tell us, you know, if there's something specifically that you're working on, uh, you know, a charity that you have that's near and dear to your heart, and also why why it's so important to you to, to give back. Well, I think, you know, I... I... First of all, I think giving back is not a is not an option for believers. I mean, I think that is a, a, a biblical command. So first and foremost, you know, that's one of the things that God wants us to do and has commanded us to do is to give back and to be socially conscious. And so, um, I'm just like we have, have just finished talking about. I'm I'm really passionate about making sure that people have access to the Word of God because I think that. You know, you can do and should do for people from a physical standpoint. In other words, you should you should be concerned with meeting physical needs like clothing people and feeding people and giving people shelter. But if that's all you do, um, then you really haven't helped them because uh, no matter what, no matter if, you know if you live in a palace and you have the greatest clothes and plenty to eat, you're going to die at some point. And so, uh, if you haven't done anything for their spiritual condition. Uh, as a Christian, you really, you know, you haven't helped them. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a passionate believer in giving people access to the Word of God. So as such, we've invested heavily in ministries that, that try to do that, whether it be Faith Comes by Hearing or the Seed Company that, that's a translation ministry uh, where you can make sure that uh, people have the Bible in their own language. And, um, you know, we've, we've done a lot with Bible translation in Poland and, and other places. So uh, I would say that primarily is what, uh, what, what, where, where our uh, funds have been directed uh, as far as supporting ministries. But then there's all kind of other things as far as I think that God tells us that he considers pure and undefiled religion to be care for widows and orphans. In other words, for the people that, you know, that can't help themselves. So orphanages around, around the world and, and ministries that care for poor people, I think are, are, are super important. And that those are things that we've supported. And um, I think lastly, what I would consider to be at this point, unless, you know, God can certainly change this and change my perspective. And I'm open to that. But at this point, you know, what I would say my life's mission and my, personal ministry is through baseball to young men. And mm -hmm. I have a real passion for my players. And I know from experience what a profound impact that coaches can have in in someone's life. And, you know, in fact, I would go so far as to say you, if you're a coach, you are having an impact, either good or bad. And so um, my life's aim from this point forward is to is to use my coaching and to use my relationship with my players to 
to instill in them Christian values and to instill in them the things that God wants to see and to teach them that life is is certainly more than baseball. Um, you know that that life is about just the way you the way you treat people and that there is a there's a standard that um, that we need to be aware of. So that's what I. Uh, am, am passionate about in terms of a ministry standpoint. Love that. Now, this is our final question, and I do appreciate you you staying with us for this long, Lance. It's been a really great time getting to to talk to you. So most of the time we ask our last question is sort of, what is God teaching you right now? And I think that's been a great question for a lot of our guests. But for you, I, I'm curious, because I think, and I've asked this to a few others as well, you know, as believers, we, you know, there's a perception from the outside that certain believers and influence or areas have it all figured out. And I talked to a few pastors on this podcast and, you know, they kind of chuckled when I said that, but there is a perception of that, that they're the guys that we turn to, you know, for spiritual, you know, counseling or whatever it is. But for you, I'm just curious from, you know, not having it all figured out, Lance, what's your biggest struggle currently spiritually? Um, I think that, you know, trying to, I think the, the biggest thing for me is being comfortable with ambiguity. And what I mean by that is, you know, like, I I think there's a spiritual sense out there that, man, you know, if you're, if you're spiritual, if you're really in tune with God, then, you know, you're going to have a pretty clear idea about where you're headed in the future. And so, and then, and I think prayer is tied into this too, because, you know, if you go, if you go through a period of hardship, whether it be like a physical illness, or if there's some circumstance in your life, you know, there's a lot of times where you can pray and you feel like, man, I mean, is this doing any good? I'm getting no answer. I feel like God's further away from me now than, than ever, you know, what's the deal here. And so I think, um, walking through some of those things and learning, um, how to be okay in that spot where you feel like that, you know, that you're praying in vain or that, you know, God's not operating as quickly as we want him to, or that I would like for him to in certain areas. Uh, I think that can be a challenge because it can be a challenge. It can be a challenge to your faith. It can be, um, a challenge to, uh, I think, I think Satan uses those opportunities to, whisper, does God really care? I mean, he's not, he doesn't, surely he, he doesn't care or else he would have already acted that kind of thing. And yeah. so I think, you know, fighting through some of those battles, um, is, 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 a, is a challenge and not just for me, but, but for everybody. And, um, so I, th- I take comfort in some things like, you know, when you read about Paul and his missionary journeys and, and he's wanting to go to Asia and he tries three different times. And we're told in scripture that all three times, somehow God prevents him from, from going a direction he feels like he's supposed to go. And so, I mean, if it's, if the apostle Paul with all of his, you know, close connections to God is still in the dark sometimes about the direction to go, uh, then I can take great comfort in that and knowing that, Hey, you know, I'm going to do the best I can to live faithfully I'm going to, um, you know, try to honor God with my life and, and, and he is going to direct my path where he wants me to be. And so sometimes it's not for us to know. And sometimes we're not going to know, uh, this, this side of the grave, but, um, I think those are, those are, those are real spiritual questions and issues that, you know, that I've struggled with in the past and continue to, and continue to struggle with to a certain extent. He is Lance Berkman, 15 years as a major league baseball player six-time All-Star, and uh, just this has been a great conversation. Lance, I do appreciate your candor and your time because uh, I know how precious it is. So thank you so much for being a part 
of the Sports Spectrum Podcast and hope to have you back on again sometime. Man, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. And we do thank Lance Berkman, 15 years in the major leagues, for joining us here on the podcast. What a great conversation. What a heart this man has for for the Lord and, and giving back and helping others. But also, what a unique storyteller he is in remembering some of those great games and, and moments that he had, uh, not only being drafted in the major leagues to his hometown Houston Astros, but also playing in that amazing Game 6 in the 2011 World Series and being one of the heroes in that game and just sort of the the sort of unsung heroes and the memories that he has from that game that are so different from his perspective as a player compared to somebody like myself or anybody else who's a fan watching that game. So we do thank Lance Berkman uh, for joining us and, and look forward to uh, having him back on hopefully very soon because there's just so much that we didn't even get to in talking to him. Uh, so thank you, Lance, for being a part of this podcast. And thank you all for listening to this podcast. As always, leave a review on iTunes if you can. Let us know what you thought of this interview. It helps get the word out. It helps get awareness going as we continue to try and build this ministry here at Sports Spectrum. So if you could, leave a review on iTunes. And as always, you can get in touch with us at sports underscore spectrum on Twitter. Search Sports Spectrum on Facebook. And of course, you can go to sportspectrum.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can reach me on Twitter at Jason Romano. Thank you so much for joining us here. And we will see you next time on the Sports Spectrum Podcast.